Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. You are not alone. Please be aware that this interview contains descriptions and discussions of religious fundamentalism, religious shunning and excommunication, mental health, and child sex abuse that may be distressing for some listeners. If this type of content is a trigger for you, please rejoin the program in about 20 minutes. For assistance, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or lifeline.org.au or 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732 or 1-800-RESPECT.org.au. Late last month, I spoke with Sherry D'Souza, a former devoted Jehovah's Witness of 30 years, recently awakened and left their religion with her husband, Sasha and is now passionate about supporting others and raising awareness over both watchtower abuses and religious harm. She is a volunteer with Recovering From Religion, a support network for people that have left religion and or have been excommunicated from their religious congregations. I speak with Sherry about her lived experience of religious mind control and the effects of religious beliefs, shunning, the 2016 Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse involving the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the advocacy work of Recovering from Religion and the Secular Therapy Project. We start the conversation with Sherry introducing herself. My name is Sherry D'Souza. I am 45 years of age and I live in southwest Sydney in a nice little town called Camden. My lived experience as a Jehovah's Witness, I was raised as a witness. Both of my parents uh, were Jehovah's Witnesses and most of my family were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was quite a serious child and believed all of it. (laughs) I was baptised at 14 and I started regular pioneering when I was 16. So for your audience, regular pioneering means basically you're a full-time volunteer. And at that time, it meant going door-to-door and preaching about the Bible according to Jehovah's Witness theology for 90 hours a month. And I did that for 10 years from the age of 16 to 26. I was very dedicated and devoted, and I sincerely believed it. Can you give us more information about your lived experience as a Jehovah's Witness? What else did that include for you in relation to the dogma and doctrines that were taught? And how did that affect you growing up at such a young age where that kind of shaped the person that you were? Yeah, it did. It very much did shape the person I was. In fact, to the point that um, I identified uh, as a Jehovah's Witness. So if people asked me, just like your opening question, who are you? One of the very first things I would have told you was that I was one of Jehovah's Witnesses. It was just so entwined with how I viewed myself. It founded all of my decision-making in every aspect of life, really. The clothes that I would wear, the entertainment that I would enjoy, the type of friends that I would spend time with, even in selecting (laughs) or choosing what type of person I would be attracted to that I would want to spend my life with very much had to fit a certain criteria according to the religion. It shaped everything of my life. If I had an important decision to make, 
I would refer back to the Watchtower and Awake and I would try to work out based on that material what the best way forward was with whatever the decision was that I was making. It's hard to find the right words to just describe how all-encompassing it was. It wasn't just something you did on a Sunday. It was something that was totally entwined with your idea of self. It's a way of life. Now I look back and I see how incredibly harmful and damaging that way of thinking was because you're not taught to express yourself. You're not taught to be an individual. You are told what to think. You're told what to feel. You Everything is laid out for you. And so when you leave that, you have to learn who you really are and you have to rebuild all of that. You describe yourself as recently awakened. And so what does that mean in relation to your exit from the Jehovah's Witness religion? That's one part I'd like to cover. And also, what were the key concepts or religious teachings that made you rethink the Jehovah's Witness religion and, in essence, propelled your exit from the religion itself? So I use the term recently awakened because it's not yet been three years since I realised that the religion I'd been raised in was not true. And what that means in relation to exiting the religion, probably about nearly 18 months before I say I woke up, and I I remember the date and the day vividly, it was the 30th of November 2016, two days after the Australian Royal Commission had released the findings report for Case Study 29, which was focused on Jehovah's Witnesses, and I read that report. But for the 18 months prior to that, Sasha and I had actually stopped attending meetings. And the reason why we had stopped attending meetings was because Sasha had been found out that he no longer believed. We had a a young pioneer witness working for us for our home business. She fossicked around on the work computer and discovered that Sasha was on an an online ex-Jehovah's Witness forum and he had not logged out properly. And so she saw his username, saw the comments he'd been making, his posts, etc. And she toddled off to the elders and told them straight away which then meant that the elders were harassing Sasha for a meeting with two elders. Your audience may not be aware that Jehovah's Witnesses have an internal judicial process. So that's what the elders were wanting to have Sasha go to. They wanted on charges of apostasy. And that's how I found out that my husband no longer believed. We went to a meeting the following week. And when I went to that meeting and I saw how the congregation was treating not just my husband but also myself, I didn't want to go anymore. It just seemed so hypocritical. They had been obviously talking about what had happened with Sasha. And I knew that if I got the fake sympathy from other women in the congregation, I would not have responded very well at all. I would have been furious because I could already see that they were demonising my husband, who is a good man. It took 18 months following that event and of not going to meetings to finally then have enough courage and strength to read the Royal Commission report. And when I did that, it was like the house of cards just completely fell apart because reading that, and it was so clinical, legal, it was emotionally detached, it was just presenting the facts and there wasn't one thing that was in that findings report that I could as a believing witness say, oh, they've got that wrong. 
they had all of it completely right. They'd even captured the culture of what it's like in a congregation, which it just had such an enormous impact on me. And from that moment on, I remember I went home that night and I told Sasha that I'd read the report and I said to him, you can't claim to be the true religion and becoming from God when you are guilty of covering up child sex abuse at such a scale. It just doesn't compute. I, it was a no-brainer. There was no way that I could defend the organisation and I could not condone being a member of it anymore because I felt that would make me complicit. So it was it was just a clear, I have to get out. In the days and weeks and months following that, and as I started to learn more about the religion, I, I started to think for the first time about the blood transfusion policy and about shunning and about so many other things that I just really had not thought about. I felt such rage. I was so angry at being lied to. I felt that I had been manipulated. I felt that those 10 years I was a regular pioneer was completely and utterly wasted, that I'd been denied the opportunity of reaching my full potential, that there were so many other things that I could have done, but it was wasted away in a harmful cult. It was incredibly traumatic to go through that. And I felt that I had nothing tethering me down anymore. Like I didn't know which way was up. What do I really believe now? If all of that is wrong, what can I trust? Now, nearly three years out, I'm so much happier now. I've worked out all of those questions and had to revisit what it is that Sherry really believes. And after I got through the first bit of anger, I actually really enjoyed that process. It was actually very exciting. Like suddenly I could work things out for myself. I was not going to be told what to believe anymore. I could discover it all on my own. And thank you for sharing that. I can only imagine how difficult it was to remove yourself from that mind control and from that guilt that you've been forced to feel for so many years and then come out the other side. And like this anger has catapulted you into this new realm of advocacy and self-awareness and bringing awareness to other people. It's very commendable. I'd like to change the stream of thought now for a little while and speak about the organisation that you're involved with, so Recovering from Religion. For our listeners, this is a support network for people that have left their religion or have been excommunicated from their congregations, and these people are beginning their processes of recovery from the mind control that they've experienced for many years in these organisations. Why did you get involved and what is your role with recovering from religion? So why I got involved was because of the trauma that I've just described answering your last question. Having gone through that experience and reaching out to others in the Australian community, learning that there were private Facebook groups um, of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses that share their stories and lean on one another for support. We only learned about that group about four or five months in to my waking up. So having gone through that experience firsthand and seeing how it affects others, I began to think halfway through last year, there needs to be a better way. There needs to be some kind of formalised support process that people can come to, that it's a safe environment for them and they can process and work through what it is they've gone through. So I began to think about starting an organisation here in Australia that would do that. 
And as I fossicked around to learn about it, I came across Recovering from Religion. I heard about them from a lot of podcasts that I listened to. And I had a discussion with the president and founder of Recovering from Religion, Dr. Daryl Ray, told him what I was wanting to do in here in Australia. And um, and so because of that, I, I signed up and became a volunteer. They train all of their volunteers. You, you have job descriptions. You know exactly what's expected of you and you know exactly what you can expect of them. I'm really enjoying working along with them. So the role that I've got currently is I am a support group leader and have started up the very first support group in Australia under the Recovering from Religion banner. Uh, obviously, because of COVID, <laughs> it's all over Zoom at the moment. Uh, so we've had three meetings so far, and we've had people from all over Australia, from various religions. It's obviously at the moment very ex-Jehovah's Witness heavy, but um, we are welcoming people from other denominations. There's a huge need. There is such a big need. Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, they're looked at as a very benign religion by the public that just annoy people on weekends by knocking on their doors. They don't realise how harmful and damaging this religion is. Uh, and the stories we hear, either via this, this new support group or via all of the Facebook groups, they're harrowing stories, the damage, the abuse that people have gone through. There's just a huge need to help people deal with that trauma. It's a long journey of recovery for many people, and I applaud you for the work that you do. I'd like to shift gears again. Currently, the Jehovah's Witness religion and the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society here in Australia are in the midst of a controversy in relation to their mishandling of child sex abuse within their organisation. And this was investigated in the 2016 Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse, and they have yet not joined the redress scheme. I'd like to get your comment on this particular issue. I think it's absolutely disgusting and abhorrent that they're not part of this scheme. The arrogance of the organisation just beggars belief. They refuse to acknowledge the harm done. They claim that they are not an institution by the definition of the redress scheme. So what that means is because they don't have Sunday schools or camps or... Things like that where children are taken, they're separated from their parents. Because they don't have the, that kind of structure, they feel they don't fit into the definition of an institution that would fit for voluntary redress. And so, therefore, they're not going to participate. I would argue, though, that that's actually not true. They might institutionally not have a Sunday school group or a camp. But I've reviewed the Secret Elders Handbook and in there, there are provisions for publishers or pioneers being assigned to study one-on-one -on -one with the minor of someone else uh, in the congregation. And that's sanctioned. And that is documented in the Elders' Handbook. So I would argue that, okay, you might not have a Sunday school, but there are definitely circumstances where children are separated from their parents. There is also their preaching work. Just the nature of the preaching work and the way that is organised, they could assign an adult to be with a minor and be separated from their parent. And this is a situation where abuse has happened. The Candace Conti case that happened in 2012 in the United States, her abuser, Jonathan Kendrick, 
that is exactly how he abused her, was during field service, was because he was the elder and he assigned her to work with him and then he abused her. They're being duplicitous, they're being deceitful, they are not honestly showing what it is the organisation does. They're just wiping their hands and going, oh, no, we don't do anything like that and it's the parents' responsibility, let's just push it over to them. But the facts remain that the Royal Commission showed that 1,800 children had been abused, that they had records of 1,800 children being abused by 1,006 pedophiles and not one of them had been reported to the police by the organisation. And now they're saying we're not going to participate in redress. It's totally immoral. It is absolutely disgusting and abhorrent behaviour from an organisation that says they have poor child abuse. But they're not going to apologise. They are not going to make it possible for victims to get any compensation or redress. And the other thing that I don't want to have lost in all of this is that the Royal Commission recommended three procedures that had to change within the organisation. And those three things are still outstanding and they have not done them. The first of them is that the two-witness rule has to be abolished where it pertains to child sex abuse. Recommendation two is that women need to be involved in the process to provide support to the survivor. So when a survivor gets up the courage to go, this happened to me, and they go to the elders and they tell the elders, the elders must provide support by a woman to help that person through the process. And then the final recommendation was that if a survivor of child sexual abuse is so overcome, so traumatised, they can't stay in the religion, it's too difficult for them, they choose to leave. The shunning policy that the organisation has that if someone leaves, you cut them off and you don't talk to them, the commission said don't do that to child abuse victims. Don't shun someone who's a child sexual abuse survivor because all you do is re-traumatise them. I'd like to talk about the services that Recovering From Religion provides. So those people that have doubts or questions or have experienced trauma within religious cults and or institutions. I wonder if you could give us more information of what happens there. Yeah, sure. So Recovering From Religion offers a few different services to help in this particular area. They have a helpline that you can call up at any time and one of their volunteer agents will be there to listen to you and and help guide you through to resources that may assist you. Uh, The helpline has three numbers. There's one for obviously the States, the UK, and just recently they've released an Australian helpline number, which is uh, 0345052402. If you would rather be on their online chat, they do have an online chat feature as well so that you can chat virtually with one of the agents. And that can be found via their website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There are 46 support groups dotted throughout the globe. So you can find these meetup groups by just going on to meetup and putting recovering from religion in the search You'll then see all of the list of the support groups. And because most of them are on Zoom at the moment, the Sydney support group is going to meet next on Saturday, the 18th of July. And you'll see that on the meetup page there. And anyone is welcome to come along uh, and just share their story. And it's peer support that's offered through those groups. 
There is also some other things, though, that Recovering from Religion has uh, initiated, and one of them is called the Secular Therapy Project. So while Recovering from Religion offers peer support, sometimes you need more than peer support. You actually need professional help and assistance. So the Secular Therapy Project is basically a register of licensed, accredited psychologists, mental health professionals that can specifically help with the trauma that comes from leaving religion and leaving high control groups. Now, in Australia, currently, we've only got four registered therapists. And so I'm also working on uh, building that database of therapists that are trained to help in this particular field. Um, But some of the secular therapists, uh, even though they might be international and overseas, are offering virtual consultation. So you can check that out at seculartherapy.org. Since the pandemic started, they've been offering special talks. They're calling them RFRX talks. Every Monday evening, their time, which is Tuesday morning, our time at 10 a.m., They've had talks on uh, the trauma of leaving, what that actually does to us from a neuroscientific point of view. Um, They've had discussions on racism. You can see previous talks of this type on their YouTube channel and all of the history or the previous talks that they've done will be there. And if there is a statement that you could provide that would debunk the core beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, what would that be? Well, quite simply, is it true? Is it true? And if it's true, then why change it? Why have this history of changing policies and changing doctrine? And you can apply that to any of the teachings, any of the doctrines they have. Is it really true? And it needs to be demonstrably true, not a gut feeling, not because you've had some personal experience. It should stand up to scrutiny. And if it can't stand up to scrutiny, then it can't be true. That was former Jehovah's Witness Sherry D'Souza discussing her lived experience as a Jehovah's Witness and its doctrinal belief system, and her volunteer work with Recovering from Religion, a support network for people that have left religion or have been excommunicated. For more information, call 03-4505-2402 or visit recoveringfromreligion.org and seculartherapy.org. The next Recovering from Religion Zoom meetup is July 18. Find the details via meetup.com. If the content in this interview has been a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or lifeline.org.au or 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732 or 1-800-RESPECT.org.au. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help 
subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.